Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews 1. We're going to be in Hebrews 1 this morning. And while you're turning there, can we just thank the worship team who's already backstage but for leading us so well in worship this morning? It's always a privilege and blessed to be led by the people at our church who faithfully serve. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles right now who'd love to get a copy of God's Word uh, to your hand. Um, Hebrews 1 is where we're going to be hanging out, and uh, that is in like the last third of your Bible. So if you're not familiar with where that is, you can uh, flip around a little bit, but it should be in the last kind of third of our Bibles. And um, as you saw uh, from the uh, intro video, we are jumping into a brand new series this week, which I am really, really excited about. We are going to be studying together the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in this book all fall, all the way to Christmas. And here's what you need to know about the book of Hebrews. It has been said, if you could boil down all of Christian theology into two New Testament books, like if all you had were two New Testament books, not counting the Gospels, the life of Jesus, but, but if you had two books that kind of laid out the most of Christian theology, it would be Romans and Hebrews. This book is central to our faith. There is so much good and important stuff that we're going to get into together this fall. So excited um, for what's going to happen both this week and in the weeks to come. And if you're new here and visiting, my name's Calvin, and I just want to let you know you've come at an amazing week, and this is an amazing time to be here for your first time because this is a special weekend at our church. And uh, this weekend is baptism weekends, and what we're going to do at the end of our service, we're going to worship God by having people come forward and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life And uh, we've been praying a lot about this service as a team and as a staff, and we're really believing that God's going to move in a significant way right now in this room with this group of people. So hopefully you are praying for that and believing that as well. So what we like to do when we start a new book is we like to give you the context. We like to tell you who it's written by, when it was written, why it was written. We love to give you some background to help us understand the book that we're about to dive into. So let's talk a little bit about Hebrews for a second. Um, When was Hebrews written? Here's the answer. We don't know. Uh, We think it was within 50 years of the life and death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the ascension. We think it was pretty early on after Jesus ascended back into heaven and the church was getting going. We believe it was sometime before 70 AD because there's no mention of the destruction of the temple and kind of the persecution that's going on in Israel during that time. But, But we're not sure. Um, Who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. How am I doing so far? Good? You you guys feeling clear? We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, Historically, most people believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There are are parts of this letter or this book that, that are very, very similar to Paul's writings, but then there's other parts that are very, very different from Paul's writing. So historically, the argument's been, was it Paul that wrote it, or was it maybe Apollos or or, or someone else? We're not sure. The the letter has never been uh, titled. You never are told who wrote it, so we can't be certain. And actually, when this book was being debated about whether or not it should be added to our Bibles or to the canon, there was some debate. We don't know who wrote it. Are we sure we want it in the the Bible? And, And what the leaders of the church at that time, the conclusion they came to was, this is obviously inspired by God. And it's too important not to to, to be added to our Bible. It's too important to be left out. So it was added to the canon, but there is not um, certainty on who wrote the book. Um, Who's the audience? We're not totally sure. Um, We believe from the letter that it was uh, written to a Jewish 
group of people probably scattered throughout uh, Jerusalem and Palestine. In the book of Hebrews, as we're going to see, there's a ton of Old Testament imagery. Hebrews uh, is the chapter of faith where it goes into all of the heroes of the faith of the Hebrew people. There's tons of imagery towards the temple. So we think it was a Jewish congregation because of all of the Old Testament imagery. But again, the audience, it's not like there was a letter where it's like, hey, it's written to this group of people. We believe it was Jewish people scattered throughout Jerusalem and Palestine. But here's what we know for certain. We know why it was written. And this is why it was written, to encourage and to strengthen our hearts. To encourage and, and strengthen our hearts. You see, you need to understand, you have to remember when you read the Bible, we read it through the context of 2,000 years of world history. Right, so when we think about Jesus, when we read about Jesus, we have seen how the kingdom of God has grown from 12 disciples, that it, that it has spread and branched throughout the world. That there is not one person in human history that has had near the impact on our world as Jesus Christ has. That there truly is one name above every name, the name that never fades, that today we are here in Michigan worshiping the name of Jesus Christ and we are joined with brothers and sisters in China and in Russia and in Brazil and everywhere in between. We have seen how the good news of God coming to earth to save his people has spread and transformed the world. But you need to understand, back in 70 AD, that the followers of Jesus back then, they didn't have that context. They don't have that history. Here's what they know. They know that the Messiah came, he died, he rose again, went back into heaven, and, and now things were getting really, really difficult for followers of Jesus. Jesus was gone, that the church was growing, but they were starting to come under persecution. And especially if you were a Jewish Christian, if you were a Jewish Christian, you were being rejected by your Jewish brothers and sisters, maybe even your family, because you follow the Messiah now and you don't adhere to, to the Old Testament law like the Jews did. And Rome is starting to up the persecution of Christians because Christians won't acknowledge Caesar as God. So you're getting it from both sides and life is difficult. And there was this sense of, man, is this worth it? Are we sure Jesus is the Messiah? Do, do we really wanna keep going? Life's getting difficult. Our world seems to be spiraling away from God and maybe we should just give up. So the, this letter is written to be like, no, 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 it's worth it. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. And, and don't give up, don't lose heart. The battle is worth it, right? And I think if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we could all say there's moments in our walk with Christ and there's moments in our life where it's like, man, I just wanna give up. It's too hard. God seems absent. He, he, he's not doing things how I would do them. It, it just, it's difficult. And, and so um, I think God in his sovereignty, he, he had this book be saved so that our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged even this week as we hear who Jesus Christ is. So here's the big idea for this morning. This morning's gonna be really quick and really, really simple. It's this, it's that Jesus sits at the center of all reality and he has to be the star of our story. Jesus sits at the center of all reality and he has to be the star of our story. This morning is all about realigning our hearts with what is true, <clears throat> sorry, what is real and what our life is all about as we are going to see this right from verse one. 
Like there's no intro in Hebrews. There's no like welcome. We're gonna dive right into the reality that everything has always been about Jesus right from verse one. Follow along as I read. Here's what it says. It says this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So interesting. If you take notes in your Bible, do me a favor, just circle those three verses. These three verses are really important. Biblical scholars say that in the entire Bible, this is the most well-written, complex, technical, beautiful Greek written in the whole New Testament. It's like if the rest of the New Testament was written like an email, this is like a doctoral thesis in its level of writing. And how interesting is it that the most beautiful writing in the entire Bible is a description of who Jesus Christ is? Like, I don't think that that is on accident. Look at verse one again. It says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All right, let's not skip over that verse too quickly. Like, think about this. How amazing is it that God has spoken to us? Like, can we not take that for granted for a second? that the creator God of the universe, who by the way, we have rebelled against and have lived lives that have shaken our fist at his authority in our life, has chosen to communicate, right? If God has really spoken to us, here's what that means. That means that God is not just a distant theological concept, that he is not a philosophy or, or an idea or a theory. But the fact that God spoke to us, here's what that means, that God wants us to know him, that he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to lead you. He wants to shepherd you. He wants to have a dynamic relationship with you, his creation. Like the fact that God would speak to us at all is amazing. And here's what I love about verse one. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways. Like, how cool is it that God has not just spoken to us in one way, but, but he has made an effort to connect with every type of person in how he's communicated with us. I mean, I mean, think about the Bible for a second. Like, every type of person and learning style God has spoken to through the Bible. Like, are there anyone in here who you're like, listen, I love the facts. I'm very black and white. Just give me the, the, the truth. Anyone like that? All right. You love Genesis 1, don't you? Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't get more black and white than that, right? Day one, this happened. Day two, this happened. Day three, this happened. Like, I can sit with my four-year-old son, Judah, read through Genesis 1, and he will understand what's happening because it's that clear. So for those of us that learn in just very, very black and white, straightforward concepts, he has spoken to us, right? How about any history buffs in the room? Like, I love learning about history and learning about families and genealogies. Like, you have the whole Old Testament. You see how the lines of God's people is transferred through generation to generation. You see good kings. You see bad kings. You see how the movement of God played out in real, actual history. He's spoken to the history buffs in the room. How many of you guys are like, man, I just love a good story? 
And to capture my heart, like you got to tell me a good story. Like, Cal, I don't listen to 90% of what you say, but I love your analogies, right? You got to give me a story, right? Think about how many world-class stories are in the Bible. Jonah and the whale, David and Goliath, Moses and the burning bush, Noah's ark and the great flood. Like how many world-class, all-time beautiful stories are in the Bible recorded so that we could understand and know God's heart? All right, any artists or musicians in the room? Like there's a whole portion of our Bible that's actually dedicated to songs. And if you read the book of Psalms, all that is is music and songs that are dedicated to talking about how amazing and how awesome God is. He's got you covered too. All right, maybe you're an intellectual and you're like, I love nuanced thought and, and I love high concept, big ideas. Like you've got the book of Proverbs. The most wise person to ever live wrote down all of his best God-inspired wisdom for you to learn from. God took time to say, listen, there's gonna be some goofy weirdo intellectuals in my family. I love them too, and and I wanna connect with them where they are. Anyone just love like a good chick flick? You got the Song of Solomon, right? He's got something for, for everyone. What if you're a hipster and you're like, I can only read if I have a good cup of coffee with me. I can't help you, right? That's the one... I've got nothing for you, you're beyond help. But everyone else, like, like, just think about that for a second. Isn't it amazing that in how the Bible is written, there's so many different styles and different types of people. God did that on purpose because he's trying to speak to us in a way where we'll listen. He desires our relationship so much. He's going to great lengths to reach out and communicate with us. It's an amazing thing. All right, look at verse one and two again. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Okay, we're gonna see three quick things from these three verses. Here's the first, that Jesus possesses full ownership of everything. Jesus possesses full ownership of everything. It says that Jesus is the heir of all things. And heir means it is rightfully his. He receives it. And just to clear up any confusion, verse two says, not only does he own everything, is he the rightful heir of everything, but he's also the one who created everything through whom God also created the world through Jesus. Jesus was the voice of God that spoke the universe into existence. It's all his, he owns it, he owns everything. Um, I would, I've been gone the last uh, couple weekends and it's good to be back, so happy to be back with you. I always miss you when I'm gone, but I was up in Alaska with my wife and my dad and my brother-in-law and we went fishing for about six days. And uh, the way our, our fishing trip worked is you go in groups of four, so you have a team of four and you go up to a lodge and in that lodge there's six or seven other groups of four. And you kind of rotate places, but like every night you come back together, have dinner with, with these, you know, 25 or 24 to 28 people, but you're always in groups of four. And this year when we went up to the lodge, um, the owner of the lodge and his wife brought six of their friends. So of the six or seven groups of four, two of those groups um, were the owner's groups and, and the owner's group's friends. And here's what I'll tell you. It was very, very clear. Like you didn't have to un- like look very hard to understand that the owner was with us that week. Well, like he got to do kind of whatever he wanted to do. I'm pretty sure the owner's wife picked the meal plan for the week. It wasn't the chef. 
The owner and his wife, they stayed at the best place that the lodge could offer. The guides would even take the owner and his friends to different parts of the river to fish for different types of fish than anyone else could fish for because other clients couldn't go do that, but the owner had special privileges. And by the way, no one was upset, no one argued with it because he was the owner. The lodge was rightfully his. He could do what he wanted to do. Listen, all of creation is rightfully Jesus's. He can do with it what he wants. He owns it, it's his. All right, now look at me for a second because here's what happens. In church, when the pastor says something like, listen, Jesus owns everything, it's easy for us to shake our heads and be like, yeah, amen, Jesus is awesome. But if we really think about the reality of that statement, if that's true, if that's our reality, there's some terrifying um, realities that that means for our life. Because if Jesus owns everything, that means I've got to shift my mentality. I'm not an owner, I'm a caretaker. If Jesus owns everything, that means by definition, I own nothing, but Jesus has given me some things of his to watch over, to steward, and to take care of, and I'm gonna give an account for how I took care of those things. If we really believe that Jesus has full ownership of everything, means that all we are are caretakers. So like, let, let's get very, very specific. Your life is not your own. You don't have complete freedom and autonomy to do whatever you wanna do. Your life is Christ's. Your family, it's not yours. It's the Lord's. Mama bears, your kids, they're God's kids before they're even your kids. And your kids are blessed to have you as their mom, but listen, they've always been the Lord's kids. Your stuff, your finances, your work, it's not yours. It's Jesus's according to his word. We are caretakers and that's gonna shape and impact how we think about those things and view those things. It's gonna impact our life in huge ways. Look at verse three. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Second thing we see is that Jesus is fully and perfectly God. Jesus is fully and perfectly God. Notice the author doesn't say that he radiates the glory of God. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What the author is doing here is he is arguing for the full divinity of Jesus. He's saying Jesus was fully, perfectly God and fully, perfectly man. That he wasn't just an enlightened teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't someone who resembled God like a son resembles a father. He is the exact same thing. That Jesus and the God of the Old Testament are perfectly consistent that we don't need prophets to write anymore to tell us about who God is because everything that we could possibly need to understand about God's character and his love and his righteousness and his holiness and his mercy has been perfectly displayed in Jesus Christ. He's it, he's everything. He is fully and perfectly God. Do you wanna know who God is? Look to Jesus Christ. You're looking at the same thing. 
And I love the second part of this where it says he upholds the universe by his power. It says that Jesus is in complete control and it is his power that is sustaining the cells in our body even as I talk to you right now. So here's what that means. Again, if this is the ultimate reality, it means that, listen, we're not witnessing a battle of good versus evil. Jesus isn't in a battle against Satan, good versus evil. Jesus is in complete control. And everything that's playing out in world history is simply the story of Jesus redeeming humankind to himself. Jesus is not concerned. He's not nervous today as he sits in heaven. He is in complete and ultimate total control, upholding everything by his power. Look at the end of verse 3. It says this, and after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Third thing we see is that Jesus is the star of our salvation. Jesus is the star of our salvation. All right, now we kind of enter the scene a little bit here in verse three because sin is talked about. And it said that Jesus made purification for sin. Well, what is sin? Listen, I wanna explain sin to you in this way. Sin is us rebelling against this reality that Jesus is at the center of everything, right? At its very basic level, sin is us saying, I reject that, God. I wanna be sovereign. I wanna be in control. I want freedom. I wanna do what I wanna do. I want control over my life. I want the world to revolve around me. I'm rejecting that everything is yours, God. And by the way, in how we think and how we act, um, all of us do this every single day. And here's what I love about the end of verse three. Who's the one that made purification for sin? Jesus did, it wasn't us. It didn't say that we earned it, that we were good enough to somehow fix it ourselves, but it said that Jesus, think about this, who created everything, who sustains everything by the word of his power, he in love gave his life up for us to pay the penalty of our sin. He is the one in his perfect life, death on the cross, resurrection, defeating sin and death. He is the one that has made a way for us to know and have a relationship with God. It was always about him. You know why? Because everything was always about him. And then I love the end of verse three. It says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This idea of sitting down, it means that, listen, his work is finished. It's not still happening. It's not still playing itself out. Jesus has complete victory, full authority. He sat down like we sit down at the end of a long day of work when everything is completed. He sat down. And I know some of you are thinking, but Cal, um, if the work is finished, why am I still battling sin in my life right now? Like 30 minutes ago, I'm falling short, falling in prey to temptation. Like if his work is done, why is it still a struggle right now? Well, listen, let me encourage you. Um, Jesus, just because he's sitting down, doesn't mean he's not engaged. And it's the Bible says that he is transforming us to become more and more like himself each and every day, that his spirit lives inside us. In Hebrews, later on, we're gonna read that Jesus right now is praying for us. Did you know that? That Jesus isn't like just in heaven chilling right now, but he's praying, he's interceding on your behalf. Hey, this is my child and and, and I love them and I died for them. Give them strength. He's communicating with God the Father right now on your behalf. He's near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He is shepherding us. 
He is wooing us to yield to his rightful place in our lives. Jesus wants to know you. He wants to be your king and your Lord. Okay, so here's what Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 is. It's one of the most, again, the most beautifully written Greek in the entire New Testament, in the entire Bible. And it's a high view theological look at who Jesus is. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is how amazing he is. And what I wanna do right now is I wanna take it from the theological and I wanna make it very, very practical. Because when Jesus is at the center of your life, when you yield control to him, it has the power to change absolutely everything about your life. And I wanna make this very, very practical. So do me a favor, check out this video. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. New our British theologian N.T. Wright says this, he says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself has walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it is a sham of total nonsense. Most people, unable to cope with saying either of those two things, are condemned to live a life in the shallow world in between. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus the star of your life? Is he the hero of your story? Like, can you honestly say that? My favorite part of that video is when Ryan confronted Jay with the question, listen, you, the way you're going, your plan for your life, who's the hero? It's you. And, and it's you making yourself better and it's you providing for your family and it's you making yourself passable, but that's never been the intent of our lives. Our lives have been meant to do one thing, and that is to have Jesus be front and center, that our lives would reflect his glory. Is he the star of your show? What we're gonna do right now is, is we're going to celebrate Jesus being the star of our lives through baptism. And really all baptism is, it's getting in front of people and it's proclaiming, listen, Jesus is at the center of my life. I am his, I, I, I love him, he is my savior. He is the star of my life. You see, you need to understand, we don't come to Jesus so that we can become a better version of ourselves or better people. We come to Jesus saying, you have everything. I'm surrendering it all to you. Do with my life what you will. And then it's in that moment where the transformation happens. And um, so if you've been at our church, you know that baptisms are a big thing for us. And baptisms, uh, it's commanded by Jesus in the New Testament, in the gospels. After we are saved, after we believe in Jesus Christ, proclaim him as Lord, we are called to get baptized and publicly proclaim that decision. It's an act of obedience. And, and listen, I understand we are in a context and in a culture where many of us come out of a reformed background, where baptisms happen as an infant, where there's infant baptism, and then you have profession of faith later on in life. Listen, um, we're not out on infant baptism. 
Like what an amazing thing it is to have parents who love you, that they wanna bring you in front of their church and say, pray for our child, we love our child, we want our child to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that's an awesome blessing. But can we at least agree that that was your parents' decision for you and not your decision? Like I've never once hung out with a three-month-old holding them in my arms and had a theological discussion about sin and the atonement. It's never happened. What baptism is, it's your decision right now saying that even if I was baptized as an infant and that's what my parents wanted for me, God answered those prayers and this is my decision, me stepping out in faith saying, I wanna surrender everything in my life to Jesus. He has full authority over my life. I am his. And there's some of you here who, who you're wrestling right now, man, should I come forward and get baptized? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I, if I should make that decision. Listen, we have people who are going to sit with you and pray with you and talk to you and answer any questions that you have. We're just gonna ask you to come forward and act in that step of obedience. Well, I didn't bring the right stuff. Like I don't have a pair of clothes to change into. I don't know if I'm prepared. Listen, we've done this a lot. We have thought through absolutely everything. We have hair products. We have makeup for you to put on. We've got the clothes for you to change. It's all been thought through, all been taken care of. The only thing you have to prepare to do is step out in obedience right now in this moment. Some of you are like, listen, well, my family's not here and I want them to see this and and, and to be a part of it. Um, We have all of this recorded. They can have access to it. And listen, here's what I would encourage you. Please don't let this moment of obedience pass and you not step forward because you're making choices that revolve around you. This isn't the moment to do that. This is the moment to say, listen, Jesus is at the center of my life. He is my greatest reality. And if he calls me to do it, I'm going to do it in obedience. And um, so I think there's a few different type of people here. There's some people here who... um, you need to right now for the first time truly surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And you've maybe been at church for a long time or you might be brand new, but the truth is you can't honestly say you've ever allowed Jesus to be central in your life and to be the star of your show, that you've denied the ultimate reality. You're already his. It's already happened. What we're called to do is to submit to that and to trust him in faith. And that hasn't happened for you. This is the moment. And if that's you, let's do that now. And then what an awesome thing it would be to come forward and get baptized and to proclaim that today. Right, there's some of you here that that, the step of baptism, this public proclamation, you haven't done it as a believer yet and you know that God is calling you to walk in obedience. Let's not delay, let's make that decision right now. And then there's some of you who maybe you have been baptized and you are a follower of Christ, but you know that there are areas in your life that you've shut off to Jesus that he doesn't have rightful reign and control over. And listen, that's always gonna lead to chaos in your life. So if that's you, let's take this moment and let's give those things to the Lord and say, God, you have all of me right now. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us. And then right when that's done, I'm going to invite you to go um, down front and, and go to my wife, Mary. She's standing right there. She's really sweet. She doesn't bite, I promise. And, and she will show you exactly where to go. We have everything perfectly planned out for you. You just need to respond in obedience right now if the Lord's laying that on your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just, um, 
even just the, the truth that you speak to us. What an incredible reality that is, that you have made yourself known. And God, we confess that so often we try to go through life in our own strength, navigating things in our own wisdom. God, you need to be center. You need to be first place. You need to be the star of our story. And so God, I pray for the people right now who are about to do that through um, proclaiming you in baptism. God, would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would this be a meaningful milestone or marker in their faith? Would you show up powerfully as we celebrate together as a church what you're doing in the life of our church? God, you're so good. It's all about you. We thank you. We love you. It's all because of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's all stand. And if you would like to come forward and get baptized, this is the moment to do it. Come right down to Mary, and we're going to sing a couple songs, and then we're going to celebrate what God's doing together. So right now, in this moment, don't be shy. Let's come forward and let's respond to the Lord in baptism.